podcast. Hi, this is Ruth. And this is Tina. And this is Talkin' Smash. The podcast where we wear scarves and talk about Smash. No matter how tired we feel. Yes, we're sleepy today. <laughs> we are sleepy bunnies today. But it was, a, you know, I liked this episode. So. Yeah, this is, uh, and, you know, and hey, we can always pop a prednisone and we'll feel better. <laughs> Magical. I mean, they do seem pretty magical. They are. Yeah, they are. They're. A, a oh, good, have you thing. have you partaken of the steroids ever from time to time? Oh, so many times. Okay. I feel like we can get into my my prescription history <laughs> <laughs> later in the episode. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've got some steroid stories too. Yeah. Um, not from myself personally, but yeah, they are they are powerful things. Um, so, so I love your scarf. You're wearing you. one of my favorite Ruth scarves. This is a new Ruth scarf. I bought it at my grocery store. Uh, it is white with kind of a you know monochrome paisley pattern, but the chrome of the monochrome kind of shifts as we go around the scarf. It from blue. Yes, yes, from blue to green. It's so pretty. Thank you. And like white and blue, like a patterned white with blue or vice versa is like so one of your looks. That is very true. And I think my microphone is, my scarf is interfering with my microphone. So I'm I don't gonna, know. How, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to take it off now because it's wires. <laughs> I feel like this is the world's worst striptease that I'm doing right now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like diffusing a bomb slash stripping. Okay, done. My scarf is gone. Your scarf is gone. Okay. What is your scarf? So I'm wearing a scarf that I've worn before on the show, (laughs) as eagle-eyed viewers might spot. Um, It is my dollar store fake silk scarf. Maybe my scarf is interfering with the mic. Oh. Maybe we shouldn't wear scarves on this (laughs) podcast anymore. Maybe. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe scarves are wire jostling Maybe. Devices. We, could, we could have them on our laps. Yeah. Just pretend. Okay. Yes. All right. All right, I'm going to take Are you going to also do a, a very <laughs> tense scarf striptease? Sure. Well, I think I'll, I'll take like a pregnant pause here so that for editing. Oh, yes. All and right. And then I'll... All right. Both scarves have now been safely removed <laughs> and should stop causing... Interference by jostling wires. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent. Yes, I, I was wearing my, my dollar store scarf, um, the one that is fake silk, and it's like blue and green, and it's got like a weird purple thing. And now I think I do think my breasts are interfering, are interfering with, the, with the wires. Yes, I think. Yeah, let's just we're going to pause again and just get you sorted out with wires. All right, we're back. There has been a wire substitution, so everything should be hunky dory. Yeah, from this point forward. So yeah, it really helps that all this audio equipment belongs to somebody who lives in this house and understands it. Yes, that is helpful. <laughs> yes. So um, did, were you able to do a scarf watch? I did do a scarf Yay, watch. what's your scarf count? Well, my skirt scarf count is either four or five. Okay. I will go through them. Okay. So there is Derek's gray silk scarf. Okay. There was an ensemble member who had a turquoise scarf, mm-hmm. and I saw another ensemble member with a turquoise scarf, and I don't know if it was the same person just on two different rehearsal days. Sure. So that's where my, you know, K 
count confusion is. But then Julia, you know, had a purple scarf that she wore for much of the episode, mm-hmm. which uh, I dubbed her adultery prevention scarf. <laughs> um, and then stage manager Linda had a scarf with like a kind of leafy sort of pattern on it. Cool. So four scarves for me. Cool. I also counted four scarves, um, but I missed Derek's because oh. I'm so you're just so busy anger. being mad at him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just yeah. Uh, so I missed that he was actually wearing a scarf. Mm-hmm. So what was the other scarf you I got? Ca- um, one of the bar mitzvah guests ah. was wearing one. Yes, I do. I think. Yeah, yeah. When they were getting ready to leave, yeah. When yes. when uh, Kat McPhee was singing "Shake It Off," mm-hmm. and I just it was a white scarf, and she had it like tied behind her, like to kind of make a shawl, like okay. a shoulder covering, a tasteful shoulder covering. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the camera kept panning to her. <laughs> so yes, <laughs> featured extra. Yeah, but no, yeah, I yeah, I've got. I've got lots of thoughts about that bar mitzvah scene. <laughs> I cannot wait to get into it. Yes. All right. So I guess, uh, oh, before we jump in, yeah. Um, I noticed, well, I was paying attention to the credits this week. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that Julie Rottenberg and Alyssa Zaritsky are actually co-executive producers. Oh, and cool. They're, so not hired guns, like I said last week, but co-execs. Oh, neat. And um, yeah, the show... Most shows have a lot of executive producers, but this mm-hmm. show seems to have an inordinate number of executive and co-executive producers. There are a lot of cooks. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. All right, so NBC describes uh, this episode, which is episode six, chemistry. What does chemistry mean? Well, it applies to so many things in this episode. And NBC describes this episode as... Ivy faces major vocal issues while Julia struggles to avoid Michael. Meanwhile, Karen books a side gig at a bar mitzvah. And it was directed by Daniel Atias. Atias? I'm sorry. I don't know how to say people's names. I apologize. Um, I think he's credited in this episode that was Dan Atias or Atias. Um, and you know him from his directing work on The Wire and Sopranos and Six Feet Under. He's the perfect director for a gritty episode such as chemistry. And it was written by Jacqueline Rheingold, who uh, has written a whole bunch of episodes of Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Again, gritty. Oh, and also uh, Teresa, uh, Teresa Rebeck worked on Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Oh. So that might be where they met. Cool. All right. So a whole bunch going on this episode. Lots of chemistry, both in personal relationships and chemistry in terms of Happy pills. <laughs> but yes, Ivy's getting sick, poor lamb. Yes, I liked on the previously on how, and they might have been doing this all the time, and I just didn't, you know, happen to make note of it mm-hmm. before, but when they were playing all the clips from the previously on, they have the song, um, Let's Be Bad, playing over the whole thing, and, or... I don't know what, yeah. Anyway, I noticed, you know, I noticed there was music playing, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's nice. And the previously on is definitely... Uh, more than hinting at a possible, um, what's his face? The writing partner, Christian Borrell's character. Tom? Tom. <laughs> we are on fire today. We really are. Um, they're definitely hinting at a, a Tom and Sam storyline. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
It's Big coming. Time. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to Sam too. Yes. Um, so we open up in Ivy's apartment. Mm-hmm. And Derek is sleeping in bed, and she's singing at her vanity. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, she's just you know singing along, you know, and and she just she can't hit a note. And it's like, oh, oh. I will say I like Derek the most when he is in Ivy's apartment mm-hmm. because I feel also like you know I feel like well he must really like her if he's sleeping over at her place with her double bed or. Maybe maybe it's a queen. I don't know, but it's not big. And I'm sure in his you know you know loft palace he has some sort of you know ultra king sized tempurpedic thingy. So the fact that he's sleeping in her you know wee little apartment hmm. to me he feels most human in Ivy's apartment. I hear you. I I think I could buy that more if it wasn't established how much he's trying to keep Ivy out of his apartment. That was like four episodes ago. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Oh, um, I, uh, Eileen is is doing business lady stuff, which I love. I always love. I love when they're doing the business of show. Yes, and Ralph, the investor, is back. I love him. I enjoy him quite a lot. He's yes. really good. He's a fun recurring. Isn't character. he? Is he the one that said, "Oh, only five hundred thousand? Yeah. Yes. So. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's back. And we see a lot of him this episode, and that's yes. fun. We learned that seven million dollars is the the cost of the but I guess the bundled cost of a workshop and an out of town tryout. I don't know if the seven million includes. What I feel she's like the seven million for the workshop. No, I I feel like the seven million is separate. Sure. Yeah, it's like it's seven one hundred percent completely new millions. Sure. Of dollars that she's looking for now. I liked Eileen's line of. Like, if you want to give me fifty million, I won't say no. <laughs> I think it was fifteen, but you oh, know, fifteen, yes, <laughs> but fifty, 50. even better. Yeah, yeah. And then we go to the rehearsal room, and I'm already liking this episode better than the last one because we see the uns- we're getting so much more ensemble member time than we yes. did last week. We've got Bobby and uh, <laughs> Jessica and Sue, and they're all chatting away, and. Um, we see Julia being a mess, like again with the business of show, like yes. trying to make, trying to make a show. Oh yes! So this was interesting. I, well, first of all, I, I really liked the little show business thing of like everyone, you know, working in the new pages yes. because this is a new new show that they're developing on the fly, mm-hmm. and they're teaching Karen how to sub out her pages. Yes, and I liked the little di- directorial thing of we go from them in the hallway subbing out their pages mm-hmm. to inside with the adults, you know, for lack of a better term, <laughs> yes. you know, fighting over the order of their pages. And this is, I think, the first time that we have seen Julia and Derek fighting and Tom as the mediator. Yes. This is a new dynamic. Yes. And I, I was not really like a Will and Grace watcher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Deborah Messing could have been wondrous on it. I don't know. But she's just so damn good in this she's show. She's really I, good. I feel like we say it every week and I think we'll continue to. But yeah, she's it just, can't be said enough. Yeah. Oh, I also like uh, how Jessica says to, I guess it was to Bobby or to Sue, like, don't confuse her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Karen Cartwright is highly confusable. Yes. But, um, but yes, and I enjoyed that fight between or the conflict 
between Derek and Julia and Tom. Mm-hmm. And um, Tom also, Tom doesn't want to be used. That was great. Tom is a great friend to He's Julia such this week. A great friend. Yes, and um, Derek is kind of doing his job at this particular moment in yes, time. Yes, I think in this moment, it's okay for Derek to say, "I don't want to hear about your personal life." The show's in a week. Yes, and also because. I'm not sleeping with you, so yes. I don't know. So I'm justified in not wanting to hear about your personal life. Yes. Because um, I'm not a part of your personal life. Yes. Yeah, so Derek is doing his job, and also, like, he's doing his job in terms of, like, he is talking to his collaborators in this project, as yes. opposed to just, like, stalking out of rooms mm-hmm. and, like, sitting in his, like, you know, apartment with the scary staircase, mm-hmm. like, you know, gazing off into space or whatever, because... Mm-hmm. I don't think that's all that directing is. I think it involves talking to other people. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I have to say, also, Julia's jewelry game is really on point this week. We're getting chunky rings, chunky necklaces. There's a lot of great stuff going on. I love her so much. Yes. I also love Ellis playing informant I love it so much. I kind of feel like I just sort of want Ellis to come out at this point and just be like, hey... You need an assistant, and I want a better job. <laughs> I think this happens later on, but like another time when he pops into Eileen's mm-hmm. office to inform her mm-hmm. of what's going on. Um, I love how he does like a subtle, you know, he does a little bit of nagging to her uh, temp assistant who she's like, oh, your temp assistant isn't out there. Actually, I don't know where your temp assistant mm-hmm. is. And I enjoyed that. Ellis is, we're getting, we're getting just the right amount of it's Ellis per- now. Perfect. Yes. And I enjoy like Ellis with Eileen. So much more than I enjoy Ellis with Tom. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I wasn't interested in Ellis versus Julia. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it. It didn't make any of the characters come off better. Mm-hmm. And it also, I think, it weakened Tom and Julia's relationship. Yeah. But I agree with all of that. But I think Ellis working for Eileen and, like, you know, trailing after her and learning from her and also, like, introducing to her to his little... Boho world I is is delightful. Oh, it's so great. His little Lower East Side world, I guess. I want to become part of this entourage. <laughs> <laughs> and you know Eileen is buying the rounds. Oh, yes. But $7 martinis. $7 is so martinis. Cheap. Yeah. It's like you can buy four for practically the cost of one. <laughs> At the Carlisle. At the Carlisle. Mm. Um... So then, okay, so yes, yeah, so Ivy is not feeling so hot, and um, and it comes out finally in rehearsal because she she can't hit her notes and she's she's all froggy. Yes, and, and we and as she is, she's she's not singing well, but she hasn't gotten quite gotten to the point where she just can't sing at all. Yeah. And I like we we get a shot of like Tom and Julia watching her, and they're I love it because like they're they're you can feel them keeping their faces neutral. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to make a face, but oh dear God. Oh dear God, this isn't good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make a face. And then and then nothing comes out. Yeah. And Eileen of course walks in, right? When mm-hmm. things are just falling apart. Yeah, so much is going on in the so rehearsal room this week. So much, di- so many dynamics. Also, yeah, so then um, I guess they segue to, since Ivy has to go to the doctor, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're doing just dance numbers. And no one can say numbers more emphatically than a choreographer. Mm-hmm. We get, you know, he's done it before, but we really get some very emphatic five, six, seven, eight. And yeah, they should never have Derek do that because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Michael needs to learn how to button his shirts. He's got a lot of real, 
well, those low hanging shirts this week. I mean, that's obviously for seduction purposes. I know for the purposes <laughs> of seduction for people who like hairless chests and and really sort of goofy tattoos. But <laughs> the yeah, so which I guess Julia does. We'll get to that. Oh, and Karen is an innocent eavesdropper. She's like an yes. innocent Alice. She just dropped all her things. So quick, you know. Behind the piano. As can happen, sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's theater. We'll go for it. And she learns that Derek and Eileen especially are interested in just replacing Ivy with Karen. She might play <laughs> Marilyn after all. She might be. Oh, my goodness. What an emotional roller coaster she's, she's getting on for the rest of this episode. Oh, and also, like, Karen has really taken to heart the lessons from the the cost of art week in, term, in terms of she's really wearing the uniform in she terms is. of coming in with her hair in a ponytail and wearing something form-fending and something loose on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because she's really bonded with the, with the rest of the ensemble kids. Yeah, she sure has. I wonder if her, her credit card bill is so high because of all the new things she had to buy. Well. <laughs> is that a callback? <laughs> I, you know what? Yes. Let's say that's a call. But I'm also sure that, you know, all the stuff she bought at Laduca, that probably added up to more than $342 or whatever it was. But yes, yeah, they're leading her down the road to financial insolvency, these new friends of hers. But they're so fun. And we Uh, learned that Ivy is hypersensitive to drugs. That's convenient for the purposes of drama. Now I have a question. You're a scientist. Okay. Is that just a blanket thing? to be hypersensitive to drugs in, in general, just all of them? I don't know. Um, speaking as a scientist, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, sure, probably yes, okay. I guess. I, I'm sure there are people who are, like, are definitely, you know, that just have increased sensitivity in general. Apparently redheads, you know, um, huh. well, I'm getting this from like a Facebook post, so okay. this is not like... <laughs> this is not New England, New England Journal of Medicine scientists, but apparently okay. redheads have like a higher sensitivity to pain on average. Whoa, yeah. So again, that's that's Facebook fact checked, not huh. like real fact checked. Sure. So, but yeah, um, I don't know if, but I think it is convenient for the purposes of plot. To just be like, she's just hypersensitive to all drugs. But if you were hypersensitive to all drugs, I imagine you'd be hypersensitive to alcohol as well. You know what? That's a really good point. And she has no problem going out and drinking. And mm-hmm. we don't hear. And this is this episode. In general, I like this episode. But this storyline bugs me a lot. Because as somebody who's disabled and chronically ill and takes like all the medication, <laughs> I hate the stigma that media does of m- medicine mm-hmm. is bad mm. and taking medicine is is like the road to evil and because mm. all everything has side effects that is true like food has side effects that is true know? and anyone who's had thanksgiving dinner like exactly. is aware of that and like ivy is not off base to be concerned about side effects and especially since she apparently is experiencing all of them, I, I took a. Do you want are to like this? musical hallucinations one of the side effects? They aren't um, here, but I did. Um, I, I I thought people might be interested in, in the side effects, and this is from uh, the Mayo Clinic. So these are the side effects to prednisone, which is a steroid. Um, these are the most common ones: 
Aggression, agitation, blurred vision, decrease in the amount of urine, dizziness, fast, slow, pounding, or irregular heartbeat or pulse, headache, irritability, mood changes, noisy, rattling breathing, numbness or tingling in the arms or legs, pounding in the ears, shortness of breath, swelling of the hands, feet, fingers, or lower legs, trouble thinking, speaking, or walking, trouble breathing at rest, and weight gain. So, but... And that sounds super scary, but those are a lot of those are sound, uh, side effects of everything, everything just over the counter of Sudafed or as well. whatever. Exactly. Yes. Um, and the thing that I've learned with my like extensive pharmaceutical history is that everything has side effects. So it's about more is the is the reward greater then the risk is the side effect that you're experiencing less awful than the thing you're treating in the first place. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things, like, um, I was kind of like, I had some sort of, like, Netflix stand-up comedy thing going on in the background mm-hmm. as I was, I don't know, just doing things around the house last night. And there is a comedian who is doing, like, a riff on, like, again, on, like, drug side effects and, like, oh, my gosh, these commercials and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And one of the side effects is death. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? You're going to take something where the side effect is death. And it's, like, on the one hand, I'm, like, yes, it's it's a joke and I understand mm-hmm. that. But on the other hand, like, if you're taking something where the side effect is death, there's something, like, really wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. Where you're, like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna roll the dice here and, and give this a shot. Like, people, people go into surgery. People have their bodies cut open to fix things. Death is definitely a side effect of surgery. Yeah. Wait, did I say that right? Yes. yes. Okay. I got that in the right order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So yes. So she is definitely right to be concerned, especially if she has some sort of general, you know, narratively convenient mm. <laughs> universal sensitivity to drugs. I um, really appreciate though you pointing out that she had zero problem. With, she has zero problem with alcohol because mm-hmm. that's it's so interesting how something that we do really socially like drinking is like fine like yeah. no, nobody judges anybody who like drinks regularly or like a character who goes out and gets drunk one night because they're mad at their boyfriend but like that same for that same character to also have like a huge hang up about like a very very commonly <laughs> prescribed medication. Um, it's frustrating. Well, it's me. like, well, it's kind of like Saved by the Bell syndrome. Yeah. So um, I never even watched Saved I by the Bell, but I know about this episode. Um, I'm so excited. <laughs> where she takes one pep pill yeah. and, you know, immediately becomes like a raving, you know, pill fiend. Mm-hmm. And But then by the end of the episode, like, has realized the error of her ways and never does it again. Ivy seems to be experiencing quite a few of the side effects of prednisone and so like as a as a consumer as a patient she might decide no this is you know this is worse but also also prednisone is something you take short term most of the, the time yeah. like she just needs to clear something up like yeah it's for not like, like she days yeah so for like a few days having like a headache for a few days and and sweats Especially because you know this whole workshop's gonna be over in like another eight days. Yeah. So. So this is and this is really. She important. just needs to get through the next eight days. Exactly. Yeah. So, I will say so. Steroids are something that they give cancer patients mm-hmm. uh, when they're going through chemo, and it gives them a lot of pep. But you know who they don't give steroids to? The people who are taking care of the cancer patients. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
and this is something I've experienced in my life where, uh, you know, the person, the cancer patient was just like full of vim and vigor and me, the person taking care of them was like dragging around, like after them, like, okay, all right, I guess we'll go to another place. This is fine. (laughs) (laughs) The pep is nice if she's experiencing that. So. Yeah, but she didn't. It's funny. She didn't experience like any of the the positive side effects. You don't even. We don't actually. I don't even think we hear her sing again. Uh, no, once she gets better. We no, we have about- her. This is the the part of the episode. I I enjoyed this episode overall, but this part I really hated. Don't you remember when we had her like I'm going to sing to myself oh, in the mirror in I my bedroom, like just like Karen scene. did the last week. I didn't yeah. like it. Oh, at all. oh, yeah. Um, so. Let me flip to that. So I, I wrote my notes for this are, so everyone's just going to sing into their mirrors on this show now. Is that the new deal? Yeah. And I hate this music video thing. Oh, this is some, yeah, I hate like that. I haven't watched a music video probably in a mm-hmm. decade or so, but I hate like, I find that like, mu- I think of it as a music video thing where it's like that super jarring thing mm-hmm. of like they do a jump cut like every two seconds. And yeah, so I, I, yeah, so they did that here for like the course of two minutes or whatever, where she's singing whatever some song about mm-hmm. a Jesse J song. Okay, be about being a strong woman, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, so and where they're doing the jump cuts every two minutes, and it's like all of a sudden we're in a music video, and I hated it, and I wrote, I hate this, I hate this. I wrote, this is what made Glee annoying. Yes, and I I did I wrote down Glee as well. It's like oh, like we suddenly jumped into Glee. Um, and but I and then the song was over. But towards the end, I noticed that Megan Hilty's underarms are so perfectly smooth. I also noticed that she must get them waxed. I'm I'm thinking that maybe it was electrolysis. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So, but th- that was because she kind of ends with her arm up, and you know, I noticed this. I think in not last week, but the week before, mm-hmm. where Derek was being very shitty to her because she had her arms raised above her head at the end of one of the big numbers, mm-hmm. where he just stalked out of the room. Yes, but yeah, she has she has beautiful underarms. She does. I wonder, yeah, because she has very very fine hair. So maybe she is also not especially hairy. Maybe that's why she's so worried about the prednisone turning her into a werewolf. <laughs> But I love how Sam did, I know we're jumping ahead, we'll go back, but um, when when Sam and Tom both rush to Ivy's side, uh, yeah, how he does that little, ow, because it's a show joke, because when you're in rehearsal that's for a show. Right. it's a show joke. Yes, when you're rehearsing a show together, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You get these little jokes based little on the show. Jokes. So, and of course, you know. I just, I'm wondering too if the next time, because I'm sick all the time and I also experience like, you know, going into cold sweats and I'm wondering (laughs) if the next time I'm sick, if I'm going to see like the specter of Karen Cartwright threatening me. (laughs) In the mirror with a blonde wig. (laughs) I don't think really flatters her skin tone. Um, You know what? Catherine McVie is just so pretty. She is. She really just is so damn pretty. And I like, I kind of like it when Catherine McPhee is playing, like, the bitchy side of Karen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice, because Karen is presented as so perfect. as She's the Mary Jane. She, the Mary Sue. That. Yes. Mary Sue. Okay. All right. I'm getting there. But, yeah, and so uh, Derek is, like, you know, also, he's... he's horrible. Well, yes, he does his thing of, like, 
he goes to Ivy's apartment. It's like, oh, so how are you doing? And he's like nice for like 30 seconds mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, some of the other side effects of musical theater, bankruptcy. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. And, and then he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, if you don't take the prednisone, I'm giving the part to Karen. <laughs> and specifically, he says, we'll have, I'll have to put the Cartwright girl in. <laughs> yeah. So and it does not take him movie. long the to girl. cut to the chase and, mm-hmm. you know. Because he really just cares about his show. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about Ivy. Just his show. Yeah. Oh, and then we go to Julia. Burning pancakes in Brooklyn. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, because she's guilty. And and for a split second, I kind of forgot. I like I, 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 w- I couldn't remember why Leo was so mad at her. Because he's super grounded right now for, for being in the same park as drugs. And... <laughs> But then I remembered he saw, he saw, he saw the, kissing. the kiss. So he's super pissed at his mom because he yeah. saw the kissing. And so I think he was doing a good job of like, he's trying to keep this really big secret inside him, but mm-hmm. he is super pissed at her. And one of my favorite lines this episode is, why? So I can eat your bad pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I did like, you know, I noticed maybe a, a parallel between Julia, you know, very ineptly cutting up these burnt pancakes mm-hmm. to try to salvage them versus Frank and his... Wonderful expert chopping in the pilot way back when. Um, And one thing, like, I think Leo overall, he's, like, trying to keep it together and he's trying to, like, hold this big secret in. So I'm cutting him a lot of slack. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, when he's like, that's why I asked for cereal. I'm like, you have to ask someone for cereal? You're 16 years old. You can't pour cereal into a bowl? You little shit. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, Leo gets a pass this week. He's... He's, uh, he's, he's, he's having a rough time. Yeah. And then Frank comes in and like, he does, he does. He looks especially handsome. He does. He looks very like handsome and bright eyed and bushy tailed. He does. Yeah. Cause they've like in previous weeks, and this is probably just some good storytelling because when Frank is, is doing the stay at home dad thing, like he does start to look a little beaten down after a while. And there is mm-hmm. something nice about getting out of the house. And yeah. Like being a person. I think he was around adults for a week mm-hmm. and it really perked him up, I think. Did great things for his skin. Yeah. Either so. that or he was on prednisone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he does. He looks I mean he's like freshly shaven. Like he's mm-hmm. yeah, no, he looks terrific. Yeah. Just a reminder that like Brian Darcy James is like is a sexy man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then we go back to the rehearsal room mm-hmm. um, because now it's a fresh new day and Ivy has taken the steroids and has come in and she's ready for work. And, oh, and uh, Jessica gives Karen her bar mitzvah gig. Yes. And Karen's very excited. And Karen has to figure out how to get to Long Island. <laughs> but it'll be simple. Easy peasy. Yeah. Take the train. You take the train and then mm-hmm. a cab. Mm-hmm. And at that point, like, you don't, have a profit anymore <laughs> but i you know what the bar mitzvah scene is so funny because like i just love karen cartwright showing up super late to a gig it's just such a great comparison because ivy would have been there like an hour and a half early um she would have known all the hit songs in yiddish <laughs> and karen is so 
woefully unprepared for this gig. She doesn't even know Hava Nagila. She, she doesn't know anything. She's so unprepared. She's just, she's, she's literally phoning it in. Um, she's on her phone the entire yeah, time. Yeah, and she's like, I don't need to figure out, like, you know, oh, the song list is always the same. I don't need to worry about this. I've sung yeah, at blah, weddings blah. in Ohio. Therefore, <laughs> a Long Island bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. I've got this covered. Iowa. but I'm, Iowa, she probably, sorry. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I remember, this is kind of smash lash, mm-hmm. but uh, the like one article I remember reading, like, back, back in the day, mm-hmm. like, uh, when the post-mortem of Smash was happening while it was still on the air. <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't know, unnamed sources said, like, but that Teresa Rebeck, she never, she wanted, she wanted Karen to be too perfect, in this person's opinion. And they used this episode as an example, where in the first draft, like, you know, Karen really had a lot a, a much worse time of it mm. at, at the bar mitzvah because you know she shows up late and there's really not much consequence for that and she doesn't know Hava Nagila but she kind of like you know fudges her way through it um but I think in apparently in the original draft like things go much much more wrong for her in a fun hilarious way mm-hmm. um be, and so she has like a much worse night and then at the end you know she gets the business card but gotcha so yeah, she has no repercussion. I mean, she's standing on stage, like in front of her. So I would have enjoyed seeing her, like, get you know, reprimanded or chided or something, or just get a little, uh, you I know, mean, humiliated a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she really, yeah, because she's potentially screwing up their next gig too. Mm-hmm. You know, because they could, like, people could think they're a package deal. Yeah, and I enjoyed know, the so, band. I like the band. Can't stand Karen. Well, I, I feel like it's not even they, that they can't stand her. I think they're just like, sigh, yeah. whatevs. Yeah. Uh, okay, the girl singer is a flake. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't feel like they're actively hostile to her. I think they're just this is just part of their mm-hmm. part of their world, and they accept it. But yeah, the the leader of the band is one of my candidates for under five of the week. Yes, and I also like the guy who's like, um, "Are you Ivy? You're late. Get on stage." Mm-hmm. He's one of my candidates as well, but. Yeah, and the keyboardist, who I don't think says anything, so I think is really just a glorified extra, like, I don't know, like, this band kind of fascinates me, because the age range of the members of this band (laughs) is quite broad, and, like, the keyboardist is, like, this older dude who's, like, very clearly dyeing his hair, and the drummer seemed pretty old, too, but then... The guitarist or band leader, whatever he was, um, he was very young and looked like he's probably on tour now with Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he is. Uh, and yeah, but the keyboardist, like, he, yeah, I don't know. His, I think, I think when they're eating their chicken dinner at the end of the night, like he, he made some faces that caught my attention. Maybe it's like um, the band in in Gilmore Girls, where it's like a bunch of it's a bunch of kids and then, and then a Gil. Bach. Yeah. so yeah except i think the gilda kid ratio is like reversed in this band (laughs) but oh a gilmer girls reference yay i i really like karen singing shake it off i think that's a good song for her oh and i love also how like this is florence and the machine not taylor swift Mm -hmm. yes i loved how all of a sudden like hundreds of kids materialize out of nowhere and like Rush to the dance floor. It's a good song. It is a very good song. Yes. But, like, yeah. 
I, I liked a lot of the bar mitzvah details too, in terms mm-hmm. of like the glow necklaces mm-hmm. and um, the Torah cake. I wanted a piece of Torah cake. <laughs> it looked so good. Yeah, and, and they had like the star of David made out of the balloons. I've got to say, the like balloons some of them were fantastic. They were. I think they were a little on the nose. They but had some fa- the really fancy balloons where there's like a balloon inside of another balloon. They did. Like they went for the premium package. I know, but they were really a little on the nose with the decor in terms of everything's blue and white yeah. <laughs> and we've got a giant star david um yeah the theme of this bar mitzvah was bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> but and then, did you see they had like a balloon they had a balloon guy there like in the crowd too and no i'm making him. fancy balloon hats Aww. and one of the kids had like some sort of like monkey hat on during the big shake it off number what fun but yeah all the children just were magnetized by her voice and rushed to the dance floor well karen cartwright knows what she brings to the bar mitzvah she does now and uh yeah she also has very smooth underarms i noticed in that song so but yeah i would have enjoyed seeing her suffer a little more yeah I, i i do agree with whoever that anonymous person was yeah and because then, like, when she shows up in the rehearsal room next day, and she's like, I don't know, I didn't get a tip, but I got this business card. And of course she doesn't know who the hotshot record producer is. Yes. She doesn't know anything. Because she's from Iowa. They don't have the internet there, they I don't. guess. But, um, yeah. But then there are people who, like, really do just, like, walk through life, and that's what happens. They do. They like, walk their dog. Like and Alexis Bledel. Yes, like Alexis Bledel. That's a very good example. Mm-hmm. Where it's like... Hey, you should be a model. Hey, do you want to audition for a television show? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then 20 years later, she's got an Emmy. Yeah. And so then, you know, the episode, I think we're going to like, we'll go into the, the whole like Deborah messing Michael Swift thing in a second. Uh, but then Ivy comes back into rehearsal and she... Well, I think we, Ivy starts the prednisone, she has one day of rehearsal, then, um, then I guess she's still on the prednisone and she has the bad night where she sees Karen in the mirror mm-hmm. and calls Tom and Sam. Mm-hmm. And then we have rehearsal again the next day. And this is where. That's where she tells off. That's where she, Derek. this is where she gets super sassy. Now, I feel like the show is trying to draw parallels between Marilyn Monroe's life and Ivy Lynn's well, life, and I don't quite think it's landing. Well, it's one thing, like, so apparently she got a pres- prescription for prednisone, but then when we, when we do that, like, very nice zoom in mm-hmm. to, like, the pill bottles in her apartment, there's, like, four pill bottles. Yeah. So what's going on there? But, yeah, I do feel like they're, they're you know... They've decided pills and ivy go together. Yeah. And if it's just inflammation, what are all the other things for? Yes. Why does she have four different pill bottles? Why? Because there doesn't seem to be anything else wrong with her. I mean, and they even have, there's multiple conversations about like, like, I don't have strep throat. Like, I don't have this. Mm -hmm. I don't have an upper respiratory infection. Yeah. Like, is she, if she's under stress, like... Because I've just, if there was another thing going on, because they only mention prednisone and they mention it multiple times. So I think maybe there's like a scene that was cut out where she's like, and I'm also popping two milligrams of Xanax a day now too. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, they're just establishing Ivy as a pill person. So maybe these are prescriptions she's already on, even though she's hyper. But even though she's hypersensitive to drugs, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I I, I call foul. I yeah. call foul on either, like, you know, the production designer's part or the writer's part. I call foul. Yeah. So, because, yeah, apparently she's hypersensitive to drugs. So why would she have Multiple all these bottles. other prescriptions rolling around? Mm-hmm. So, we, so should we talk about like when Ivy comes in and gets all sassy yeah. at the end of the at the end of the week, and then we'll talk about Julia and Michael yeah. and their sexy romance. I just I I realize that I at like four places I just write Derek is awful. <laughs> I wrote less about Derek this week I than did I did too, last week because I, I I feel like it's just more of the same. He's just a terrible person. He's not a good director. He's not a good partner. Um, I think I, mean, I think the only thing that he does right in this scene, and I'm not. This is not a comment on Jack Davenport. He's like great. He's very effective as Derek. This is this is just Derek commentary. I think that when Ivy does have her outburst, Derek defusing the situation by just saying it's a side effect of the prednisone is like a great line. Oh, and that was it's, delightful. It's actually the right thing to say at that moment. Well, I think it was. Well, well, okay, so. First of all, so before they get in the room and, you know, Derek is saying, like, so how's the voice? Yes. And that's really shitty. Yeah. And she's like, the voice? Or, yeah. The voice and she's like, is how about? Fine. Yes. So that's great because, you know, Ivy is feeling her oats. She, you know, she's feeling her prednisone oats. I feel like now she's, this is where she's starting to experience the positive side effects of prednisone, mm-hmm. I feel. Wait, but there's, yes, because um, aggression, um, mood changes, irritability. <laughs> Those are all side effects. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and so I'm excited when I, before they get into the room, Ivy like is being a little pissy to him. But I, I have to wonder when well, she talks about, yeah, Tom and Sam came over to take care of me because they're worried about me, and um, they came over because she called them. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, did she call Derek? It doesn't sound like she did. Mm-hmm. So she's, like, mad at him for not coming over when she didn't call him. I'm still fine with her being mad at Derek for any number of yeah. reasons. So, but that was just an interesting little thing. Yeah. But so, but then she gets in the room and she's on a roll. Well, oh, no, could oh. you Could you give me notes without publicly humiliating me? Yeah. I feel there's so much, well, there's so much that's going on in this scene. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, a lot of Michael and Julia stuff going on in this rehearsal room scene, too. Yes. So, I guess we'll, we'll double back to it. But, um, yes, they do The History is Made at Night. and I love that song. I do, too. And we had heard it before just in rehearsal, yes. in, like, singing rehearsal, like, way back in The Cost of Art mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And... You know, so and they're doing a great job, both of them. And, but yeah, so I do love it when she has her tirade then because it's cathartic and it's also like funny. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's like you get catharsis and a laugh all at once. And then, and where, and where she's like, and you're not that good looking and you're not good in bed either or that good in bed. Um, and yes, and Derek really does have the perfect button in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> that's the steroids talking. Yes. Side effect of the prednisone. Yes. 
<laughs> and yeah, so that was delightful. And like, I feel like something that we've been wanting for weeks yes. and weeks and weeks now that we finally got. So, so I'm sure this uh, is a sea change for Ivy and she will never again um, be in an a unhealthy relationship, mm-hmm. romantic relationship with a man. Are we ready to dive into what is probably like the, the most t- exciting and frustrating part of this episode? Oh, the Michael and Julia of it yes. all? <laughs> yes. Oh, one thing. I, you know, I never knew until uh, now that a song for you was not written by Elton John. Yeah, it's um, a Donny Hathaway song. I actually Wikipedia'd this. Yeah. Um, because when Julia and Tom are talking, that's mm-hmm. what Julia says. Donny Hathaway is a song for you. It's not written by Donny Hathaway. He is just one amongst the many people. Oh, is this one of those things that like, Carol King wrote it? Oh, no, but she did write a whole bunch of stuff, didn't she? Uh, It was written by someone, written and recorded by Leon Russell. And it's been covered by Donny Hathaway, Mm. Elton John, Ray Charles, Willie Nelson, and many, many more. Wow. So do you think that Julia, or the writer, didn't know that it wasn't written by Donny Hathaway? Or are they going, like, real... Real deep on this and saying that he sung the Donny Hathaway arrangement. Maybe. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe, maybe Donny Hathaway had like the most famous recording of it. More famous than Elton John? Well, you could have like, well, it's like the way like all along the Watchtower might get associated with Jimi Hendrix before you think of it as being a Bob Dylan song or like, you know, um, we think of, you know, to, it's like we think of Respect as an Aretha Franklin song. Yes. You know, we okay. think of Proud Mary as a Tina Turner song. I have never heard of Donny Hathaway. Oh, fair enough. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, sure, 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 sure. So I don't think of him as a famous person because I've never heard of him. Okay. Who is he? He is a, a singer. He's a super famous singer. Okay. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll have to make you a playlist or something. So before we talk about Michael and Julia... And their and their epic love. Do we do we have anything more to talk about Eileen and her and her new uh, her new little entourage? I I think they're hilarious. I like that at the very very end we get a sneak preview of the super sexy bar owner. Yeah. He's, well, he's is he the owner of the bar is or just a bartender? bartender? We don't know. But I yeah, but man, is he good looking? He's strangely handsome for someone who barely speaks in this episode. Wow. I wonder if we'll I, see him again. Love when uh, what's the like investor's name Ralph 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 Mascius like he I I had to like look up how to spell that name and now I can't remember how to say it um, but he says something like I'm not fancy and Eileen goes I am mm-hmm. and I love that and I love when Eileen um, orders a round of drinks she's like we're gonna need four more martinis five. One for you. Yes. And this is so oh. great because we barely got any Eileen last week. And then the week before, she was being all weird. Yeah. Um, 
Like, <laughs> she's being all weird at Derek's party. Yeah. So I'm I'm very happy to get this much of Eileen. Oh, she's great. And, you know, for Eileen to be feeling her oats and doing her lady business all over town. I she's loved when she was so on the phone. Happy, peppy, yes. full of prednisone. Being like, <laughs> the Nederlanders and Nathan Lane are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Oh, Nantucket, this time <gasps> of year? How dreary. And there's that great, great ending shot with her holding the duck hunt yes. rifle. And <laughs> I love her and, you know, playing that, like, rifle yeah, video game thing. Yeah, big buck country, you know. Big buck hunter. Yeah. Yes. She's fun. I, I want to go slumming with Eileen. I want to yes. I want to be part of her entourage. So I'm enjoying Lower East Side Eileen. I'm really jealous of Zach because he, like, I, I, he's just so lucky to be part of this group. He What a, like, he's... Probably the definition of a hanger on right now. Mm-hmm. He's just so, uh, he has no business being there. <laughs> yeah. In real life, Zach goes on to become one of the stars of The Magicians on the Sci Fi Channel. Oh, cool. I think he's a Carnegie Mellon guy as well. Oh, yeah. Neat. So, Hale Appleman. Yeah. That's a fun name. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, and so Tom was a very good friend this week to Julia and to Ivy. Very good. But do you feel, do you, I don't. I'm. 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 Th- I'm asking this question to myself at the same time. Do you think he was being shitty when he secretly texted Karen, telling her to that she may need to be oh. while he was taking care of Ivy and being like, "Oh, oh, baby girl, you know everything's fine." Hmm. I've just good yeah. Question. I think I think he was not. I've just I've come on down on the side of he was not being shitty. In terms of he was taking care of his friend, but also taking care of work. Yes, and you do you do need to do those things. And one could argue that Tom giving Karen a heads up is better than Tom giving like calling Eileen and Derek a heads yes. up. Um, that like wow, she's really in a bad place right now. Um, I feel like there's another scene missing from this episode where somebody actually talked to Karen directly prior to that text. Well, so Karen overheard, she eavesdropped. Uh Uh-huh. Inadvertently, of course, because she's a sweet angel. Um, So she knew that this was a possibility. Then Tom texts her. Then he texts her again later being like, never mind. Never mind, yeah. And then the second she's in the rehearsal room the next day, he immediately makes a beeline for her. Yeah. And is like, hey, hey, don't mention any of that, okay? Yeah. So Yeah, I guess, yeah, you're right. I guess it's it's sort of covered, like, there's, like, mentions of text and stuff. So, yeah. Okay. I Aha, guess that's fine. I've, I've brought you over to my side yes. of Tom was not shitty this week. Well, he was not shitty to the Ivy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Tom is certainly shitty in other ways. Yes. Oh, and did you see Sam mentioned another sport? Yes. Because... <laughs> Oh, did I, I did I actually say hockey last week? I I don't think you yeah because you said it wouldn't have been soccer because soccer was too like too gay too too yeah too European like, too, yeah it's too European which you know I e- guess equates to gay yeah for the network bro not for yeah. us for the network I also bro. feel like Sam was wearing that hat very awkwardly <laughs> like I don't think Sam was wearing that hat the way. Like somebody who wears a baseball, a best, ba- uh, somebody somewhere wears a cap, like wears it. Mm-hmm. And it was strange and awkward. And I just, I don't, I don't love the way Sam's being written. It just feels like. Yeah. But he was, off. 
Yeah, he was a. Uh, it was certainly way better than last week, though. Where um, because last week, you know, he he had a legitimate to go back to last week for mm-hmm. a second. He had a legitimate beef about Tom because Tom was pretty rude to him uh, when they first met because mm-hmm. he was just like, "Hey, you know, did you see the Mets?" And Tom was like, "Ugh." Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, but instead of saying, like, when he and Ivy and Mike, Michael were having their tequila fest, mm-hmm. instead of saying, hey, Tom was rude, he's like, hey, Tom's so gay. Yeah. And so at least this week he didn't do that. Yes. And when Tom was kind of a little rude in terms of being like, what's up with him? Um, when Sam was like three feet away, he, he instead just calls him out and being rude instead mm-hmm. of being like, you're. You know, you're too gay for me, <laughs> musical theater writer. <sighs> but yeah, Tom yeah. and Sam slowly warming up to each other. Where will that lead? Mm, who can possibly guess? But what about Lawyer John and his cocktail Aww, party friends? I, I like Lawyer John. I think it's so weird because it's like they had like they had like a whiff of a of a storyline, but then not really. Where like Lawyer John has like an, an annoying friend who's like, oh my gosh, Tom, did you know that Lawyer John just came out to his mom last year? And it turns out, and that could be, you know, of concern. Like if you're, I guess, newly out, and you know, you don't want to be like the first relationship, you know, mm-hmm. as a grown up. <laughs> um, what did then, you think of John's friends? I thought that they were obnoxious. And I also think Tom dressed weird for the party. Because we've seen Tom dress better than that. Yes. Well, um, but I well, think, I think we wanted to friends, have a... I think they wanted to have a stark contrast uh, between Tom and John's friends. But I think John's friends were pretty awful. And I think they were giving Tom a hard time. Yeah. Tom, yeah, Tom's friends seemed so humorless. Yes. I mean, it's one thing to be preppy, but they were they were preppy and very humorless. Yeah. I will say, I don't think Lawyer John's apartment goes with Lawyer John in terms of, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of glass and he's, I see him more with like dark woods. Yes, and, I was about to say the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Lawyer John. I think he's better than all of these people. <laughs> I do. I think he can do better than Tom. I really do. Yeah. And he yeah. definitely deserves better friends. Yes. So. And like, if you're like, even if you're not like a, you know, into theater, like. You know, you could at least find like some common ground. Like, what's the last great movie you saw, or something? Or mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, inherit jo- the wind. Wow, I'm a lawyer. That's a <laughs> play about lawyering. <laughs> there we go, common ground. All right. Well, so now I think we've covered everything except the the great love story. <laughs> You know, rewatching, <laughs> rewatching Michael and Julia's love affair. <laughs> I, again, this is what it's. It's really interesting rewatching this, as you know, we're experiencing, you know, this heightened awareness about sexual harassment because Michael comes off way creepier to me this, this time, time around. around. There are so many times when Michael is is trying to like woo Julia, and he's not. She is outright saying no, and he is he refuses the no. And I just don't think wearing a woman down is sexy. There is a great article I read a couple of years ago called uh, I think it was kind of 
uh, written in response to the whole Gamergate thing, mm-hmm. which I don't fully understand. Oh, but I, I know it was bad. To you. Yeah. Yes, um, super bad. Women still occasionally lose their jobs. Okay, that's yeah. bad. But the article was called "Your Princess is in Another Castle." Yes. Okay, I think we might have talked about this, mm-hmm. but it was great in terms of like there are so many things in like movies and whatever that like basically train boys and men that like this is what you do if a woman says no you you be more persistent and like mm-hmm. there are so many teen movies where so many in Revenge of the Nerds one of the main characters one of our heroes rapes a woman and it's presented as wow what a slick move okay i do not recall revenge of the nerds in enough detail to like yeah he they're in halloween costumes and he has one of the the lead nerds has has sex with a woman while in dressed up in a costume and she she thinks she's someone else she thinks it's her boyfriend and she even says like wow is that you wow you're so wow you're so different tonight like yeah. And okay. Yeah. That's pretty gross. It is pretty gross. But that was like way back in the, what, 70s, 80s. or 80s? 80s. Yeah. yeah. But like a more recent one, like this is a movie I watched in a plane mm-hmm. and like, it's f- funny. It's such a good movie. It's, it's, there's got, there's so much good stuff in this mm-hmm. movie, but you know, <laughs> there's this one thing that's so troubling. So Crazy Stupid Love, have you ever watched that? No. Oh, so uh, I think it was written and or directed or both by Dan Fogelman, the This Is Us guy, yes. who's definitely having a moment now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was written by him. Okay. Uh, and it's got like such a great cast in terms of we've got Steve Carell and Julianne Moore, and they're like this mid- middle-aged couple who've been together since high school. And at the start of the movie, she's like, I want a divorce, I want to separate, and he doesn't want that. So it's like three different love stories that we're following. And uh, another one is Emma... Stone. Yes. And Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then the third love story is Steve Carell and Julianne Moore's son, who is a teenager in high school, who is completely, uh, he's like maybe like a freshman or a junior, mm-hmm. and he is completely obsessed with um, this girl who like... Who's like, I think she's like a senior or mm-hmm. something. And like, she's the girl who like babysits for their family and whatever for his younger siblings. And he's just like completely in love with her and obsessed with her. And um, she happens to, you know, have a crush on his father. But okay. yeah, so it's, yeah. So basically, um, this girl, the entire movie, he keeps making like these grand romantic gestures and like standing on the table in the cafeteria. And she keeps telling him like, no, you've got to stop. I'm not interested. I don't like you because she likes her, but because she likes his father, which is a whole other thing. Um, and you've got to stop this and you have to stop this. And, and he doesn't and he won't and he keeps going. And then at uh, the end of the movie, they're at like high school graduation or whatever and um steve carell you know does this big speech in terms of uh you know i like basically i i guess at some point like very late in the movie he like his parents sit him down are like you have to stop this Mm -hmm. and um then steve carell does this big speech at high school graduation in terms of 
Um, I told my son that like he had to like, you know, basically stop, you know, making romantic gestures with this girl. And because who falls in love with like, you know, who falls in love with their first love? That's not the person you're going to be with the rest of your life. You need to get over this. And, and now I have to, I have to say, no, that's not true. I fell in love with like, you know, the first girl I ever fell in love with in high school. And I still love her today. And he should make grand romantic gestures, et cetera, et cetera. And it works. In terms of at the end of this grand speech by Steve Carell, which is really his speech to get back Julianne Moore, and that's nice. Um, uh, there, you know, the girl and the boy meet after meet afterwards, and she's like, "Well, okay, I guess we'll give this a shot." And by the way, I had a crush on your dad, and like took a naked photo to send him, but I didn't give it to him. So here it is for you. And I get, you know, I guess you'll look like him when you're older too. So yeah. Um, at least that's what I remember. Oh, you're making such a scrunchy little face there. Yeah. I'm horrified. Well, that thing is like, Tarana Burke has been doing her Me Too work since 2006. So, I mean, I know, like, I kind of keep saying that, like, right now, this is in the mainstream. But it's like, it's just important to note that there are, there are activists who have been doing this work for, for such a long time. And, you know, you know, it's so frustrating that it it just nobody listened until like you know Alyssa Milano tried to steal Toronto Burke's work as her own and like you know pass it off as though she created this concept of Me Too, but you know Smash is happening like in a Toronto Burke, the post Me Too uh, world. It's just that nobody was listening yet. And so it's Me so Too already existed this, while yes, Smash was exactly playing in real time. And it's so fr- it's just so frust it's so frustrating to hear movie plots like that. It's Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, the movie is like Dan Fogelman is a really great writer, mm-hmm. and so the movie is charming and sweet and funny and heartfelt. But then like there's this great kind of big turd in the middle of it. And so yeah, and so like you're tooling along in the movie, and all of a sudden you're like, "Wait a minute, this is this is a little weird." So, so this is a movie I saw on a plane on yeah. like four years ago, and I was like, you know, I really was enjoying so much of it, and then I was like, "Ooh, oh, he's still going after that girl." Oh, I, yeah, I'm so upset right now, <laughs> and I bet there wasn't like a big old like trigger warning no. at the beginning of it, and. Well, and it's like Love Actually, too, you know, where, (laughs) you know, on the surface, it's like a, you know, cute, charming, sweet movie. And then like, but yeah, there's so much. uh, Rick Grimes, like stalking Kira Knightley. Well, yeah, there's that. And uh, there's a lot of fat shaming of people who are not even fat. Um, Yeah. And oh, being fired because someone comes on to you at work. Yeah. That's great, Mm -hmm. too. But yeah, so it's like, what do you do with these things that like those movies or like Smash, where it's. There's there's definitely troubling elements, but there are parts of them that are charming and lovable as well. So I guess what we've decided is we watch them and enjoy them and note out the parts that are gross. Yeah. Also, you know, it helps like when you're doing a podcast about it, because then you can unpack these things. I, I'm still to answer your question, like really specifically, I'm still figuring out how to rewatch Things like it's you know I'm I'm um, a mother of of younger children and sometimes I have to 
really think before I show them something. Cause like, I, like, I don't think at this point I could ever show my kids breakfast at Tiffany's and be like, this is a great movie. Cause I just think that Mickey Rooney's character is so. Oh, that's a classic example of like a wonderful movie with a turd in the middle of it. Yes. I just can't, like, I don't, I, I, but I mean, I'll put it this way. I don't think I could watch Breakfast at Tiffany's as young as I did. Like, maybe I could show it to them, like, when they're... Because, I, I, I mean, I do discuss racism with my kids. And there's, I mean, there's racism in, in cartoons we watch that come out right now. I mean, there's stuff. And so, I, I, I mean, we do stop media all the time <laughs> to have conversations about here. Like, here, what's happening is not okay. Mm-hmm. And you should know that. Um, we'll finish watching it. So I guess that's what you do. Maybe that is what you do. Maybe I'm answering my own question. Like what you do is you, you have to decide is it's like, it's like prednisone. Is the the (laughs) risk worth the reward? Is the, is the show good enough in other ways that you can not um, excuse or overlook, but that you can deal with? maybe with this really, really, really big flaw. And is the luminosity of Audrey Hepburn <laughs> enough to mm-hmm. outweigh the... Because also- I just think my kid, my, like, in my example, I just think my kids are too young at this point. And I think that I, I think that they would laugh and Mickey mm-hmm. Rooney's character. Because and he's wouldn't. doing his silly voice mm-hmm. and he, yeah, he's making funny faces. And I need them to be at an age I need them to be at an age where I think going into it they get that this is a this is racism. Yeah. Cuz not only is it racism, he's just a terrible actor too. I've never thought he was a good actor. Yeah, you know, I, even like in those like Judy Garland mm-hmm. movies, I don't think he was good then. I don't think he was a good actor or dancer or singer. Hmm. And I think he grew up to be a pretty gross little man. Hmm. Now, like in old, yeah. Do, can, can you think of like a Mickey Rooney movie where you're that you like, or no. where you think he's good? I can't right now. I can't think of something. Maybe if I, I, yeah, I guess I'd have to. I'd have to like really look it over because, like the other, he makes like a he he makes like a cameo at some point in in a Judy movie. I think, and I think maybe I'm thinking of that. But like he's just there to for the audience to go. Oh well, look. Mm-hmm. That's Mickey Rooney, real quick. Yeah, but I have to say, like his stardom is one of the things that puzzles me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like like we've mentioned Nashville before, and you like I remember you tapped out of Nashville. Oh yeah, like, when the was, magical black men. Yeah, you know, there was the, the Michael T. taught what? taught Scarlett the yeah. the joy of music. Yeah. yeah. So for you, like that was. That's it. And I remember I took a well, multi-year break from Nashville. And it was, because uh, it was that, and like, and it wasn't like, I was, it wasn't even so much that I was taking like a stand on it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, the show isn't good anymore. Like, sure. This is like, they're doing something so tired. Yeah. They're doing something so tired and hacky that I'm mm-hmm. not going to bother watching anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I know like, I couldn't, I knew after the first episode of Dollhouse, which I think we've also mentioned before that I'm like, I can't watch this. Like as much as like, like I believed everybody who said, no, no, no. Like this, all of this stuff is going to be commented on. And the fact that she's like, 
you know, doesn't necessarily have control over her whole life, and it's you know, I don't know if we've talked about Dollhouse before. Oh, maybe not. Like but on like, this, obviously knew, in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I knew that Dollhouse isn't a show that I was going to be able to watch week after week. And like Dollhouse. All right. So for anyone who doesn't know, Dollhouse is a Josh. Joss Whedon produced show that occurred um, that was on for two seasons like after the Buffy and Angel era after Firefly I don't know how much further after it happened during the Obama administration so that gives you an eight year window (laughs) (laughs) but uh, and it starred Eliza Dushku who everyone knows and loves as Faith on Buffy so the the premise of the show is um that there is, the, you know, there are these, like, secret facilities um, called dollhouses um, that uh, house uh, male and female uh, very attractive people who, like, they have their... Per- they ha- they've developed technology to, like, basically wipe people people's personalities and, like, save them on a hard drive and um, then implant them with new personalities and memories and skills. And um, so people, quote-unquote, volunteer or whatever, they sign up to be dolls, that's what they call them, um, and have their memories wiped for five years, and, um, and then they are rented out. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, so clients say what their specifications are, and then... Um, these new personalities and memories and skills are implanted in these people. They go out and do their job, and then they're returned to the dollhouse and wiped again. Um, so, so yeah, you can see how it's a troubling premise. <laughs> um, and, yeah, but, like, it, like I, I understand someone not wanting to watch it and just being like, that is not for me. But it really was, like, I found it a fascinating show. And also, Joss Whedon, I think, didn't run it day-to-day all mm-hmm. the time. It was run by uh, his brother Jed mm-hmm. and sister, his sister-in-law, Marissa... I can't say her last name right. Tancherone? I don't know. Okay. So I think they did uh, a lot, you know, more of the perhaps day-to-day running of the show. Mm-hmm. But it is a fascinating show exploring, like, yes, female exploitation and, and whatnot. And but, like, with so many other things that Joss Whedon does, it's like... I think he really likes watching the women get exploited and then commenting on it. I think Joss Whedon just, I don't know. Well, it's funny. He's a troubling person. Yes. Well, we've talked about this. Like, you know, I think, you know, I think sometimes the more troubling people, like, they're the Harvey Weinsteins of the world where it's like everyone can just kind of be like, yeah, he's a monster. That's wrong. But kind of the more insidious thing are... The, you know, the peop- the Joss, <laughs> the Joss Whedons of the world mm-hmm. in terms of like the people who are like, I can't be part of the problem. I've got a T-shirt that says I'm a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't be wrong. And so like, and that's where I feel like kind of like the Joss Whedons and Louis C.K.'s, et cetera, of like, I can't be, I can't be the problem. And it's like, you know, you, you can, you can think there's a problem and also be part of the problem and not realize it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So... I forget we how we got to here. About well, we were talking about how Michael Swift doesn't take no for an answer. Oh yes, 
and is like, if you don't say you're going to talk to me or if you don't I'm meet gonna me, I'm going to make a scene. Yeah. I'm going to call your house. I'm going to tell your husband. Yeah. It's, he's blackmailing her. Yeah. He's pressuring her. He's, and he's not buttoning his goddamn shirt. <sighs> so if you are a man, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to see like, you know, your pectoral cleavage, like, you know, just out and, out and about on the street. I'm fine with that. Period. (laughs) (laughs) See, we do disagree from time to time. (laughs) But I think, I guess, I I also think that there, uh, there's an awful lot of men who do that and are sleazy. I don't think doing it makes you sleazy. I just think there's a a false positive. Oh, oh! I thought of another example I wanted to make on the Joss, Joss Whedon thing, but it, it's really, we're, yeah, it's, it's off topic. So let's talk about Julia and Michael. Sure. So Michael is being a real, being a real nudge, um, but he looks good. He's, yeah, he's really good at looking good. Yeah, and... his arms look nice and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you, if you don't look at the tattoos. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I don't care about tattoos. I just find his amusing uh, rather than sexy. Yeah. Um, I find him in this episode uh, increasingly intense, scary. He wears her down. And then at the very last minute, he cares about consent, which feels very manipulative because he's threatening her. He's blackmailing her. He's, he's trying all these different tactics to get her to submit to him. And then when he's basically got her under his thumb, he's like, and now say yes. And now tell me you want me to do this. Yeah. But, and I think the show is saying, before we even get that. Yeah. Well, yes. (laughs) Well, and this is like, I think what I had a big problem last week in terms of the show playing the romantic piano music over Derek and Ivy's scenes Mm -hmm. and me being like, uh, that music is, is poorly placed because that is not, and yeah. So, but before, yeah. So can we just talk about Frank and how his favorite element is bismuth? We absolutely can. (laughs) I, I feel like Julia and Frank have been together for so long that she should have known that already. That's true. Yes. So I think this is, but like we're clearly setting up some, you know, very stark contrast between Frank and his flashcards and, um... You know, I think that Frank deserves nice, boring lawyer John. (gasps) And nice, boring lawyer John deserves Frank. Yes! I bet they would chop vegetables together. Mmm. I, I bet they would host lovely brunches. So Frank just needs to change his sexual orientation. We don't know he's not bisexual. <laughs> That's true. We don't know. So, but yes, I think they should go off together and like they, they could, oh, they could have a house in the country. I think they could be very happy together. Yeah. And, you know, leave all the, you know, selfish, neurotic show people to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I th- I think Frank is really sweet, and the show does do an, a wonderful job of making Frank look like the best. Because Frank doesn't always look like the best, and not just in terms. Oh of yes, life. in earlier the episodes, the fact that he gets very like he's shot gorgeously. He is shot very nicely this week, but, but they also make him look Frank like the is best, like super. Like Frank is just like he's just seems like supportive. 
of everything and everybody. Yeah. But they make him, like, look like the best and wonderful, but in a very, like, not sexy way, though, Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, he's kind of, like, in bed with his chemistry book, and they're, like, floral headboard in the background. Did you notice that his his chemistry textbook is entitled chemistry <laughs> it's like in the grudge when sarah michelle geller is she she goes to japan to study japanese architecture and she's reading a book entitled japanese architecture <laughs> <laughs> in the show's defense many chemistry books are titled That's chemistry fair. but yeah <laughs> i think the japanese architecture one is a it's a better you know it's a better example but uh, I, also, like they, they're once again underlining how much Leo and Frank love Michael in terms of like Frank yeah. is like, hey, come out for a beer. I was so happy when they cast you. Yeah. Just another little twisted turn of the screw there for Julia, I yeah. suppose. Would it work? Would it work better if if it hadn't been five years since she's seen him? Or maybe they're just so used to this. That, like, oh, well, mom, you know, Julia has work people who she gets really close with, and then, like, they go away for, like, a number of years. I, I think, yeah, maybe yeah. This, well, yeah, and also, maybe like, this doesn't need fixing. Like, why, you know, why do Frank and Leo know Michael so well in terms of how many projects has Julia worked on in the past five years? And, like, how many of those people are they, like, oh, hey, buddy, dude? Yeah. Um, because also, you know, because, like, how close were, you know, how friendly were Leo and Frank with Michael when he was sleeping with Julia last time around? Yeah, and five years ago, Leo was 11. Yeah. So, like, well, so how much was... How maybe much would Leo, you remember your, your mom's coworker? I guess if he's a super ago. cool dude like Michael, yeah. you remember him really well. But he's well. got, like, a special nickname for him and everything. Yeah. Huh. So, yes, one of those, you know, mysteries that will not be solved, but, yeah. I think they just wanted to have reasons to turn the screws on Julia just a little bit higher. Or turn up the heat, if you will. So, But we're almost at your favorite scene. Yes. (laughs) I just, I I remember your reactions to this, like, it happened yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, yes. I, the, the, the pajama top, I remembered it differently in my mm-hmm. head. So, okay. So Julia says she's going to go on a walk after Michael calls the house and he's like, I have to see you. Come meet me at the rehearsal room. And it's so great because she's like, Frank is busy studying and, and, and Julia's like retconning her, her, her habits. Like, you know how walking releases my shoulder tension. <laughs> so I'm just going to go do that. Yeah. Walk. Just take a little walk to Manhattan. <laughs> Don't wait up. So, so yeah, so Julia's in bed. She throws on some pants. She's already in her pajama top mm-hmm. because she's ready for bed. She throws on some pants and goes to meet Michael at the studio. Um, and then we see the, yes, we see her in her pajama top. So I, for some reason, in my head, I think it conflated it with the pajama top she was wearing when she was making pancakes for Leo. Okay, fair enough. Which was, you know, navy and sort of very... Uh, pedestrian yes um whereas this pajama top is ridiculously oversized mm-hmm. i got that right i remembered that correctly but it is also luxurious white silk mm-hmm. but um yeah like the seat like yeah so <laughs> just where you go to meet your lover and so okay fine 
So let's say she rushed out of the house, but apparently she was in bed with just like a full face of makeup on. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, yeah. So I have less problem with the pajama top this time around than I did initially. But the the conflict between the I'm ready for bed pajama top and the then the like face full of makeup with contouring and eye and eye stuff going on that was that, was tough that no longer bothers me cuz that's just tv well like, i i don't want them to make her look bad yeah, i want yeah. her to look you know luminous but you know i it was just a little heavy with the with the with the blush and the whatnot mm-hmm. i wonder like if she touched it up at all Leaving bed to showing up at the studio. I wonder how long it took her to get from Brooklyn to the studio. Was there a cab ride involved? Even with a cab ride. Because we've established it's very difficult to get a cab or a car from her, oh, yeah. from her townhouse. Yeah, that's right. She, she switched boroughs. Yeah. Yeah, this... <laughs> Yeah, she was probably out for a while. Uh-huh. It was a very long walk. But I'm sure Frank fell asleep before she got back and uh-huh. didn't think anything of it. Frank sipped his warm milk mm-hmm. and fell asleep. Yes, with his chemistry book on his chest. Mm-hmm. So how did, did you enjoy the sexy unbuttoning of the pajama top? I, okay, I, you know what? I think by that point, I think the first time around, yes, I did find it sexy. This time around, I was just really, I was really grossed out. I, uh, Michael, yeah, Michael, this time around, as much as I love Will Chase, like, is, is creepy. And this episode, he's just so, he's very pushy. He's very pushy and he's threatening and he's a, he's, Michael is of danger to Julia in this episode. He threatens her. Mm-hmm. And so, no, it's not sexy. And she's also not saying, yes, I want this. Until, like, at the very end, it's like, you know, do you want me to? Yes. But, like, honestly, you could have put, if with creepy music underneath, like, it would have been a... a <sighs> Did you? I loved how they played what I've now dubbed in my head like the Michael, the Michael and Julia adultery <laughs> music during this scene, because yeah. it's the music that they played when she was describing when they met on the Brooklyn Bridge mm-hmm. and they kissed for the first time. Mm. Same music, the Michael Julia adultery music, <sighs> but um, yeah. So I found his, you know, his. Shirt and buttoning job. I I see what they're trying to go for and how he he unbuttoned it without touching her, and then it just you know then it's just unbuttoned, but you still can't see anything, mm-hmm. and they're just standing there with her shirt unbuttoned, and then finally the shirt comes mm-hmm. off, and then his shirt comes off, and yeah, they have chemistry. They, they do absolutely do. What is his tattoo of with like the flames and the little figure? I don't it know. Was, Maybe it's it like was, a smaller version of Ben Affleck's enormous <laughs> back tattoo. Yes. His phoenix. Yeah. So I, you know, I found his tattoo uh, humorous. Yeah. But uh, rather than sexy, but um, they've got chemistry and they've finally done it. Yeah. Huzzah. 
Yeah. Now, do we know, like, how soon into the making of Smash, Deborah Messing and Will Chase started smashing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know if there's any way we could find that out, yeah. really, uh, with, with tremendous accuracy. Yeah. But um, there was so much adultery on this show. <laughs> like, so many people, like, met their lovers. <laughs> Did they? Like, I know of Deborah Messing and Will Chase, but. And then um, Catherine McPhee and Michael Mayer. Oh. Were they with other people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember whose marriages survived the <laughs> smash adultery and whose marriages didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think Deborah Messing's did, right? Because are, no. to- are they still together, Will Chase and Deborah Messing? I don't think so. Okay. I have not checked, though. Okay. So. We'll check. Okay. We, <laughs> we should have, like, a, 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 an adultery check-in. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's, like, other less famous examples of adultery that happened via smash. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sure there's other hookups that happened. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, oh, and so then the next day at rehearsal. <gasps> uh, like, Julie's got her act together. Oh, like, she's got a spring in her step. She's like, the script is done. The lyrics are done. <laughs> she's, like, alphabetized everything. Yeah. And I like when Michael is singing uh, History is Made at Night, and he and Julia are, are eye-banging quite yeah. a lot during it. And because I think it's a nice contrast to the first Michael Michael... Swift episode where at the end of it, um, he and Ivy are singing Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. And like we see, and they're basically then they're doing unrequited eye banging mm-hmm. because we get that like, you know, close up on Julia's face as she's watching him sing and she's just like, no, 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 can't have it. Yeah. Must not want it. Um, so this, now they have the consummated eye banging while he is performing. And yeah, so that's a nice little release for everyone. Nice mm. little parallel. And Ellis, did you notice he's sitting next to Eileen now? He is. I, I, do you think um, Tom notices that his personal assistant like hasn't has stopped showing working up to work? Him? Well, I think he's. Well, he certainly is lurking around the rehearsal room quite a bit, and yeah. then he just scurries off to Eileen. And it is possible that Tom is sending him on errands to Eileen's office, like, go drop this off at Eileen. Or or I think Tom is just sending him on errands, and then Alice is going sure. where, where he wishes. Because Eileen's office is, like, is near the rehearsal studio. Yes, presumably, yes. Um, but also, I think Tom, much as we love him, is somewhat self-absorbed and probably oh, yeah. hasn't noticed at all. Sure. Like, Tom has a, has a new boyfriend. He doesn't have time for a personal <laughs> assistant. But yeah, and uh, so no big fantasy numbers this week. No, just, yeah, talking to yourself in the mirror. Oh, I hated that so much. Because I really, like, I, I, like, I didn't mind Catherine McPhee singing Shake It Off because, like, she was singing, yes. really singing in the context of the show. But I don't like these unnecessary pop song numbers. Yeah. Just, so the Shake It Off was, yeah, yeah that was fine. That was organic. And, yeah. And then in terms of actual... Uh, Marilyn the musical numbers because it's I guess it's the show doesn't have a title yet in the yes. <laughs> in in the where we are in the series like I enjoy just seeing like the rehearsal work I love it yeah and I loved you know yeah and and seeing like them like pulling the cou- pushing the couch around on mm-hmm. the wheels and Bobby in the background and Sam in the background yeah I love that we got like yeah that we got the ensemble members like some more screen time this week to be Yes. Sassy and fun. 
So, but yeah, and I love the number, you know, I, but yes, I loved, I loved History is Made at Night without the fantasy number. So, yeah, I think we've talked about just about everything. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the Smash Lash. Okay. Uh, Smash Lash is the segment where we talk about critical response to the episode. So, um, Hillary Busis or Busis from Entertainment Weekly, I think this quote just says it all, quote, I'd rather watch a show that's ridiculous than a show that's boring, end quote. I'm just going to let that one sit. It's That could be the tagline for Smash. <laughs> um, Noel Murray for AV Club wants more time with Tom and John. Me too. Um, Alan Seppenwall for Uproxx writes, uh, quote, the show seems to know nothing about Joe DiMaggio, save that he played baseball and was Marilyn's husband for a few years, end quote. Well, really, what else do you need to know about Joe DiMaggio? That's all I care about. Well, you know, he... He invented the cure for breast cancer. We learned that from... Oh, the, you know... The, okay, sorry. There's this um, episode of The Moth, you know, the storytelling, yes. you know, NPR series. And um, this amazing woman tells this story about how she was um, a young, single mother. And her boss, her male boss, is like, has a like a, a rare moment of, like, humanity. And is, like, fine with her bringing her daughter along with her on this like hugely important conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's like the, the, this, this woman scientist is like dealing with the situation at the airport where like her mother is going to come and watch her daughter. And um, they're, you know, dealing with like things at the airport and like last minute tickets, you know, for additional family members and, and things like that. And um, her mother's having trouble um, uh with the amount of walking that one needs to do at the airport. And the, so the, the, the lady scientist basically has to be in two different places at the exact same time. Like she needs to be online, but also like with her mother. Or okay. Something. And um, this man comes up to her and is like, listen, I can, I can, I can help you with your daughter. Like I can walk her back. I can walk your daughter back to where your mother is sitting. And the woman's like, you know, the scientist is, is like, well, I, I I just don't know about this. And, and her mother's like, you're just going to let some strange man, you know, be alone, like, you know, with your daughter. And the woman's like, listen, mom, if you can't trust Joe DiMaggio, who can you trust? And yes, Joe DiMaggio was just at the airport. And like, he like helped this woman get on her flight. And like, he provided this like, you know, nice act of strangerly neighborness. And this woman got on her plane and went to her conference. And this was like the conference where she presented her like research on the, uh, the BRCA, oh, like chromosome yeah. gene, the thing, the, thing, gene. the, the, the yes. yeah, the marker for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so, was, ah! <laughs> so yes. So, um, Joe DiMaggio did help cure breast cancer. Yes. Oh, well speaking. So there's a lot going on in that story. Yes. Like, where uh, the boss been just like, you know, a total chauvinist been like, what? Children at a science convention? <laughs> Can't but be. it all worked out. It all yeah. worked out. Weird fact about Betty Davis. Uh-huh. She w- okay, she had droopy breasts, and um, she refused to wear an underwire bra because she thought it would give her breast cancer. Oh, interesting. I've heard, like, some really strange, like, urban legends about breast cancer. Like, that... Like, there's... I, I know there was, like, a, my kids do martial arts, and there was a mom there who was nervous about her daughter progressing to a certain rank because of like the, the more intense, like physical combat the kids get into. Mm-hmm. And like, she was worried that her daughter might get breast cancer from getting hit hmm. in the chest. And I, I don't, 
I just sort of listened because I it didn't sound right, but I mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have the right words to say she was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but also I you know actually in preparing for this show like weeks ago, I I was just doing I went down like a rabbit hole of like reading about Joe DiMaggio, and I didn't realize how abusive their relationship was. Like I I too mostly thought of Joe DiMaggio as baseball and the love of Marilyn Monroe's life. I know I knew he, that he like planned her funeral. I knew that like he maintained her tomb for like years and years and years and like fresh roses and all that. I did not know that he beat her there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yes, there's definitely like a some really, really troubling sides. And I think in some ways the show like alludes to that. Cause like, he, you know, um, uh, Michael Swift is concerned about Joe coming off as a lout and Julius is like, you know, uh, well, because I'm writing, and yeah, by the time he because re- again, really, all I know about him is again in relation to Marilyn Monroe, because baseball ain't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, because I think by the time they got married, he was retired already, yeah. so he basically did not have his uh, or any new sources of adulation mm-hmm. and status and whatnot. While she did still have a career, mm-hmm. and I think he was like, you shouldn't have a career. If I, I'm retired, you should be retired. Mm-hmm. And then you should cook me dinner. And, <sighs> yeah. So, people are complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, so I don't think, so I don't know if he, well, I think she was the love of his life. I don't know if he was the love of her life. You know, nobody deserved Marilyn. She was too good for this world. So hopefully one day she'll get a very own Broadway musical. Maybe. We can only hope. Yeah, there's been, you were just uh, telling me that there's uh, some recent-ish, like as of this year, talk about Bombshell the musical. Yeah. Oh, spoil alert. The oh, Maryland yeah. musical. <laughs> gets bomb, <laughs> is named Bombshell. Yes. Which was also the name of, uh, it's going to come to me in a minute, Gene Harlow, Gene Harlow movie back in... Back in the 30s. Wow. She was the original bombshell. Yes. It's yeah. a good word. It's a good yeah. title. Maybe they'll do a Gene Harlow musical first. Ooh, Who knows? Maybe. But yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I would go, I would go see this musical that they're working on. That's, I don't know if I would. I would. Okay. <laughs> I know that for sure about myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. We were, t- you know, we were talking about, like, problematic stuff and like how do you watch stuff and and actually our our, our pal Teresa Revick you know creator of Smash like she has a, a new project coming out and it's like the plot is like oh a woman it, it's funny it involves Gamergate too a woman gets like pushed out of her like game development job and so she decides to pretend to be a trans man and re-enter the industry and it sounds highly offensive that does sound troubling. And it's like, and there would be, and like, let me be clear, th- it, this is, uh, this is not, this is the story of a cis woman pretending to be a trans man. And so much of the stigma in the trans community is is that people think that they're pretending to be something. Yeah. And this is like, this is why men kill trans women all yeah. the time. It sounds kind of like a little bit of a modern day soul man. Do you remember that? Yes. Movie from the 80s? I very much remember it. Or yes. C. Thomas Howell uh, pretends to be a black man in order to get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super offensive. So yeah, you know, like, you know, there, there was a, a whole famous movie about a trans man getting murdered once people found out. That they were a trans man. Hillary Swank won an Oscar for it. You yeah. know, like people, yeah, this is, this, 
that. That, well, at least we're not going to have to watch Scarlett Johansson. At least it won't be Scarlett Johansson. Man, but so like, that's surely that like the the concept is that a, a cis woman is going to be playing this character. Um, it's it's horrible. It's offensive. Well, you it know, it could be like that. What you may call it that uh, Weiss and Benioff are going to do that died, didn't it? Oh, I think that right. died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Confederate. Where? Yeah. So I think it should die, but it shouldn't also like it shouldn't have shown up in my Twitter feed mm-hmm. either. As like a thing that's this far along that it's so is that what is that supposed to be like a movie or a TV? No, I think show? it's a TV show. Oh, okay, all right. She's got two plays going on now. That's good. She should. St- uh, I hope they're not offensive to any marginalized communities. <laughs> okay, as far as I know, they're not. Good. One of them is about uh, Sarah Bernhardt playing Hamlet. In, oh, that's cool. Yes, in like you know, back in the nineteenth century. Sweet. All right. Oh, so should we do our awards for the week? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So first, for under five of the week, I think I'm going to nominate the head of the band, uh, the beleaguered head of the band, who says, all right, fellas, last song. <laughs> so that, that's, he's my pick. Nice. I would like to nominate Hale Appleman as Zach, who has access to Pam Corker's computer yes i i would have nominated him but i didn't i don't know if he appears in other episodes or not so but he was a delight he was a delight yeah so they they can share the crown this week Mm -hmm. and then least problematic man of the week you know i i i had trouble with this one because you know the cloud of derek and 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 now michael swift has joined derek as being just somebody i i don't like watching um so I I don't have I have like potential I have people I'm willing to talk about <laughs> as always lawyer John is just just a nice a nice person mm-hmm. um, Tom is a good friend Tom is is not problematic Frank I think is not problematic Frank this is week. not problematic so there's some Ralph Ralph wasn't Ralph particular, is not, Ralph not wasn't problematic, problematic. He helped Eileen get an apartment in his nephew's building or something. Mm-hmm. The right, bartender, you fi- you he know. barely spoke, so yes. it's not problematic. <laughs> yes, men who don't speak are, are not problematic. Um, all right, do you have someone you feel strongly about? I don't have someone I feel strongly about. I guess Zach. Well, no, because he... Um, he is, no, Zach is problematic because he he broke some sort of, like... Ruled by probably oh at work his, yes yeah. yeah so you know what I'm gonna say Frank because Frank um, changed his flight to get the red eye to be home mm-hmm. with his family sooner as soon as possible he's taking going back to work really seriously uh, although he didn't I, cook anything this episode but I bet he will really soon mm-hmm. and I bet you he you know I bet you get your vegetables if you live in his house but I bet he's a darn good cook. So, yeah, Frank, because we've established he's a good cook. Leo said it, like, a couple mm-hmm. times. So he cooks. He cares about his family. Yeah. It's nice yeah. that we have a couple of contenders. <laughs> That's true. It's, I think yeah. this is the first time we've had so many people in the running. <laughs> yeah. So the episode, you know, the episode is a milestone for that, if nothing sure. else. And something new we're going to introduce, too, it might not always be at the end. We'll see what happens. Is we're going to introduce a, a new segment called "What Would Toronto Burke Say?" Toronto Burke, of course, is the 
the founder of Me Too, the creator of the, the phrase, longtime uh, civil rights and uh, women's activist. And um, so we're going to do a quote from her that relates to this episode. There's a power in empathy. And I thought of that because of that the people who are most supportive of Ivy are the people who like take her concerns and problems seriously and show up for her and like empathize with like, you know, what she's going through. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I was really happy to have like a night, a really great, like Ivy empowering moment this week where mm-hmm. she was a badass. She was a badass bitch in the best possible way mm-hmm. and a diva in the way that divas should be. All right. I think we All smashed right. it. All right. We've smashed it. Give me a kiss.